appreciate you hopping on with us. Uh, it's it's absolutely awesome to have uh, guests such as yourself. How much uh, are you? Do you spend a lot of time playing fantasy as well, or is most of what you work on more analytics based? I'll probably yeah, end up used... having to ask you this again. By the way, <laughs> I used to, I used to do a lot of fantasy football stuff, but if you can't tell, I'm very obsessed with math and numbers and those sorts of things. And it, it became a really big time sink. Once I started really getting into doing the analytics stuff, and then now I work on, on Pro Football Network's uh, side as well, there's just not, I just don't have the time. There's just no time to devote to it. Totally fair. Totally fair. What do you, um, I'll end up, uh, what does your responsibilities kind of entail on the PFN side? Just so that, like I can kind of like get a good idea and make sure that I'm asking, or like we're, translating appropriate questions and stuff. So I do applications development for PFN. Um, the biggest thing that I do is I work with the mock draft simulator, which I'm sure people are familiar with by this point. Um, I didn't develop it originally. I maintain it and I, I control any changes that happen to it. I maintain all of our databases for it, uh, the team needs, team rankings, all that fun jazz. Um, that's the main thing that I do right now. Um, the other stuff I can't talk about, it's all secrets, all special projects. Stuff that we're totally. gonna <laughs> we're working on for the future, but it's not out there in the universe yet. So totally fair. Totally fair. Sorry, oh, uh, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend just got home. Sorry about that. But no, that's uh, that totally makes sense. Uh, let's see here. So, um, so no, that's totally cool. I have. Uh, We'll have some draft-related questions and as well as some PFN-related questions. Just let us know if it's sure. anything too specific, but I, I doubt it'll be anything that really like anything that caught, that that you can't really talk about. I doubt it. So no, no, I don't get to work with uh, with Trey Wingo, the big big acquisition we acquisition we just had. Uh, but if he did ask for something, I'd probably be the one like if he wanted some kind of functionality built on the site or something or a short code built or something. I'd be the one that, that handled all that stuff. Fair, but not so far yet. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like the, we're the you know what I mean. You end up being one of the people who like when you really enjoy the work, you really enjoy the math. You end up being one of the people who uh, some of the work gets pushed down to, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fun though, man. It's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of enjoyment. You know, you get you get crazy stuff that happens, like all those trades we had a couple days ago with Miami. And oh, I'm it, sure. It's like you're you're maintaining a mock draft simulator. People want to go out and use those picks. They want to go out and be like, "Well, shit, I just did one. I got to go to do one now." Um, you know, they they want to do that, and we have to have we have to be able to just go in there and change it. It's not as simple as just okay. Well, this number is this number now, and this number is this other number now. And we're good. You know, it's right. it's an application. There's there's things that you have to do to make sure everything works, make sure nothing breaks. Um, there's oh, there's awesome. a lot of stuff that impacts. So. Yeah, I would absolutely imagine. Yeah, there's like coming from an IT background as well. I'd imagine that there's quite a bit of dependencies, like and like lots of testing that just isn't really mm. going to get to happen when you have to make those updates probably on the fly. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to mess up. You guys have up. like a. Uh, oh, I would imagine. Do you guys have like a uh, um, like a uh, development environment or like any sort of like anything? I would assume so, right? Yeah, I pull everything down locally. Everything I do is, is worked on locally, and, and I run it on my local machine. And then when it's ready to go, I get everything prepared, make it go to the site. And then um, it takes a little bit longer to do all that stuff. But you know, you, you don't you don't put any of your customers at risk. 
you know, we this is free, so we don't have to worry about you know paying customers for it. Everybody that comes to the site can use it for free, but you, know, you don't want to you don't want to introduce any kind of a privacy risk or any kind of a security risk or anything like that. So the, the testing becomes really important, not just in making sure that things work, but making sure that you're not putting shitty code out there that that could potentially screw things up for other people. You know, you got to be really careful with that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. Let's see here. Now at this point, we're just kind of chomping at the bit. I want to get started. Yeah, I know. I, I always do. I, I love I love talking about football. I love getting on these things and, and talking to people about football and and all the different things you can do with it and about analytics and math and you know it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it. You know, I I, I keep I keep joking around about people always asking how long I'm going to keep doing this stuff because it's a lot of work and I do it for free. And it's like I'll just keep I'll keep doing it until it ain't fun. Once it's not fun, I'll stop. But that's a, that's a really solid way to put it. Yeah, it's it's still fun. Um, you know, I'm funded the the last year uh, because I finally got my site launched last year. You know, I, I had donations to the site that actually paid through this year and into part of next year. Um, and the rest of it I use just to purchase things for the site to help improve the functionality, make it so that I can do other things with it. Um, I started rolling out some of those things, and I'm hoping to have more of them rolled out. I, I really want to get the overlay one done before uh, the draft. People can change the background of the cards, things like that, make them look differently. Um, oh, sure. People enjoy that. They they enjoy that. They like they like going out and putting a player and putting their own team on it. You, know, you go sign a free agent and be like, "Here's my dude. He's got my team on it." You know. Yep. Um, people like having their own stuff with it, but um, I want to try to make it look a little nicer than I had it before. Um, which requires work and gra graphic design is like my least favorite thing to do. I, I, I don't like graphic design at all. <laughs> it's just, this is just tedious work for me, but there's so many teams. You got it was 32 football teams. And then I think I had 127, something like that, 127 or 128, just before 130 anyway, of the uh, college schools that I had done. It's just a lot of work. Oh yeah, that makes sense. It is. It, uh, we're very we're very lucky here to have a uh, graphic artist on. Uh, I don't want to say on on staff, but uh, a graphic artist that enjoys uh, spending time here that uh, helps us out with like our graphics work. So I work uh, I work with a lot of graphic designers, and they don't they don't want to do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't pay. I, I can't make money. money. <laughs> You want to do a lot of work that you'll get, you know, it's, it's very little payoff. You want to do something so that when that one person posts something from Liberty College, that they're going to have a background that has the little bird thingy that they have. You want to work for it. It's like, no, not really. You could do it for exposure. Oh, God. I'm, and see, that's the thing is, like, I'm not, I know how people use that. I'm never going to reach out to somebody and, and do that kind of crap because it's just stupid. You know, I'll, I'll take the time and, and eventually get at it myself and figure out a system that I want, figure out a, a design that I like that I can replicate, and I'll get around to it. I'll just whine about it the whole time and complain. Like you do. <laughs> I, as one does. As one does. We have, uh, we have a few members here that I would, uh, I would describe as having a very similar, uh, a very similar <laughs> strategy to dealing with work and in, in with kinds of work like that. So I, I like that people are commenting about my mustache. You know, I, I don't have, 
I don't have uh, like self-esteem issues or anything like that. I didn't, I didn't grow up, you know, worried about my appearance or anything. But I'll tell you what, as as a grown adult male, you don't get a lot of compliments. Like no, people don't people don't say nice things to you very often, just in general. But ever since I grew this, this mustache, I get like nice dash bro all the time. And I gotta tell you, that's nice. You know, you don't you don't think about it much as an adult male. But it's nice when people say things like that. So I appreciate that. Absolutely can confirm. Having a beard, getting the same compliment <laughs> for a beard. So I can confirm that it's very true. It's a lot of work, though. Um, I, I, I tell everybody, if the, and they mention, oh, man, I wish I could grow. And it's like, try to. And then if they do, I, I just make sure they understand that, like, it's not going to do what you want it to do. Just so you know, it's, it's not going to cooperate. <laughs> You have this image in your head, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to grow it out. I'm just going to do the thing I want it to do. And it's like, no, it ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. Um, one think, side's going to go this way. One's going to go that way. No. Yeah, I mean, trying to get the uh, the beard wax just right, or the mustache wax just right to get it to spin oh, just yeah. properly. Absolute challenge. I had a uh, friend in college who had a handlebar mm-hmm. as well. Uh, it, it's looking like we're hitting 7 o'clock, so... Uh, people are probably going to start rolling in here, but if you want to give us an introduction, um, we were kind of talking through a little bit of, but if you want to give us an overview of yourself and maybe just, uh, yeah, touch on a few things that you enjoy doing. Yeah. So for those who don't know me, my name is Kentley Platty. Um, I'm almost 40. Uh, I've been covering the NFL, doing uh, data and analytics for a decade now. I've been doing my relative athletic scores for eight years. I started it in 2013. Um, I am a Detroit Lions fan because I'm a masochist, um, <laughs> but I, I enjoy football. I enjoy everything about football. Um, I love talking about football. I love hanging out with people who love talking about football. So this is, this is right up my alley, uh, doing this sorts of stuff. Um, I'm currently working as the applications director for uh, pro football network. Um, I cover, uh, everything from my website at relativeathleticscores.com. Uh, and I provide a, a ton of data for, for people out there that cover the draft that want to look for uh, player metrics. I, I compile as many things as I can from as many sources as I can and try to make sure that people have that data available to them to do whatever scouting they want to do. And that's me. That's awesome. Um, one of the uh, softball questions we usually like to ask our, uh, our AMA guests is uh, – what your experience with fantasy football is like, and uh, what's your earliest fantasy football memory? Yeah, I don't do it a whole lot anymore. Um, as you can imagine, you know, being a math guy, I, I get really into it, really into it. Um, I used to cover a whole bunch of leagues. Um, I would have a, a league with my, my dad and my brother-in-laws, uh, my nephews. I would have a league at work with my coworkers. I had a league that was just me and the people that worked in the cafeteria at work because whenever I'd go to get my food, they'd stop me and ask me about football stuff. Um, but it's, it's a big time sink for me because I spend so much time compiling all this stuff and trying to find an angle and working on the math portions of it. You know, Once I started getting busier and I started doing more of the analytics stuff and now working with Pro Football Network and, and the simulator and those things that I work with, there's just not enough time in the day to do it anymore. Um, so I don't do it anymore just because of the time. Um, my earliest fantasy football memory, God, that's a long time ago. I did, I did fantasy football with, with pen and paper 
back when I was in the Navy, this is, this is back in the, the early 2000s, um, we would get stat sheets uh, sent to us on the ship. And then, because we couldn't watch the games, and we'd sit up and, and figure out who got what and who won. And then you had to have somebody else check it because everyone cheats. If, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. So we, we, had a, we had a whole system going, man. But it's, that's a long time ago, and everything's so much more streamlined and simple. And, you know, I, I feel very old talking about that kind of stuff because you talk about fantasy football with pen and paper. Most people are like, how do you even do that? It's almost where you need the uh... – Need a little bit of gray in the mustache just to like really like it's a really um so <laughs> i know that a lot of the work that you do is data analytics um and statistics uh solar was actually curious um what kind of advice you would give to people who want to get started in that field uh learn how to code and i i know that's that's easy for me to say as a developer i've been working in it for uh almost 15 years um, you know, it's easy to say you learn how to code, but it's it's best to figure out a coding language that you're comfortable with, and to try to learn at least the very very basics. One of the one of the easiest ones that you can learn is SQL, SQL. Um, learn some kind of SQL and find a way to control your data better, because there's only so many things you can do in an Excel spreadsheet, even if you're good at it, even if you're good at working at it. Um, you know, my, my database outgrew Excel. It, it just doesn't work in Excel anymore. There's too much data, too many calculations going on. So I had to, I had to grow out of it. So I started doing it in Access, uh, Microsoft Access, which used uh, uh, SQL uh, for Access databases. And I, it also outgrew that because it's, it's just too weak of a tool. Um, if you really get into data and analytics, find a coding language that you're comfortable with and work with it. Uh, SQL is a good one. R is a really good one right now to get into. Um, I, I didn't get into it. I tried and, and failed. But um, it's worth trying to get into if that's your jam and you can get in with it. But that's that's my best advice is find a coding language that you're comfortable with and at least learn the basics. It'll save you so much time in the long run. It's it's insane. So that's that's the easiest one. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we have a few. Uh, Solar is definitely an R stand in here. So we... We get to hear about some of his application work in there as well. Love it. All right, let's see. Um, you kind of you kind of chatted about uh, with us about some of the some of the projects you do with PFN, um, and I would assume that most of your other work is with relative athletic scores. And are there any other side projects that you're working on as well, or just those are kind of the things that it sounds like those take up a lot of your time. They take up a lot of my time. You know, I'm I'm one of those people who works for fun. And that seems so alien to some people. But I, I like taking on new projects and trying new things. I, I like trying to develop new applications and new ways of looking at data. Um, I've worked with a couple of high schools to try to develop ways to, um, sorry, high school programs, to try to work with different ways to test students at, and at the high school level to prepare them better for the college recruiting. Um, it's complicated and it's fallen through each time I've tried to do it. Um, there's not a lot of funding on those kinds of levels. And even though I don't ask for a lot of money, you know, it's just one of those things where you don't, you don't get, you don't get, you don't get prioritized for it. Um, but I think there's a lot of value in trying to find ways to, to help our high school students understand where they stand in the college recruiting game. And, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that I keep getting asked to do that. And eventually one of these is going to pay off. <laughs> Yeah, I, there there definitely seems to be a space for that as well. What uh what initially led to your interest in athletic testing research? It 
It seems oh, like yeah. it's something that's been you've been interested in for a while. Oh, and it, back in the day, you know, you you still see it a little bit less now, uh, but you still see it where you'll hear this these these those buzzwords, right? This guy is really athletic. He's quick, but not fast. He's explosive. You know, you get those terms. They don't mean they don't mean jack. Right? They don't mean anything. Yeah. They got me into it was was back in the day. I started looking at players like. Um, Le'Veon Bell, who was referred to as unathletic a lot, and he wasn't. He was a fantastic athlete for his size, but he ran a 4.6 in the 40, and that was the be-all, end-all, and he's just a bad athlete because of that. You hear about Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman wasn't a bad athlete. He was a great, not a great athlete. He was a really good athlete, especially, again, considering his size, but he ran a 4.640, and that's just, nope, you can't, you can't do that. You've got a bad 40. Uh, both of the Bosa brothers had that complaint against him. Joey Bosa, especially. You know, people talk about how bad of an athlete he was. It just permeated his whole draft outlook was how bad of an athlete he was. Uh, by that point, I had already developed Raz and was able to, to show that, like, look, you got to look past one metric. There's there's way more than that than goes into that than that that goes into being a good pro prospect and being athletic at all. There's way more than just one test that goes into it. Um, so I tried to find a way to visualize it. I put everything on a zero to 10 scale because it's easy to understand. Everybody can understand zero to 10. Zero is bad, 10 is good, five's in the middle. You know, there's, there's a mathematical reason that I did that too. But the, the original idea was just try to make something that made sense and was simple to understand. Um, and I think, I think that I've done, that's, that's my biggest success is just doing the thing I originally set out to do, which was make it easy to understand. It's zero to 10. That's easy. That's uh, such an underrated quality in uh, lots of projects. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who once said, if I had more time, I would have wrote a shorter letter. So trying to get something that's like comprehensible is always a complicated mm-hmm. prospect. Um, we actually had a couple questions from Jacob, uh, Bushido Jones, and Diablo. Uh, it seems like, you know, basically all asking, if you could kind of give us an overview like if we could step back a little bit and give like an overview of exactly what yeah. Raz is. Yeah. So Raz, R-A-S, somebody asked about what it's pronounced. I call it Raz because I'm, I'm efficient and it's one simple. Um, <laughs> but you can call it whatever you want, um, whether it's R-A-S or Raz or Raz. Um, but it's uh, relative athletic scores is a zero to 10 scale. It's a uh, composite metric that I created to uh, evaluate NFL players or NFL prospects compared to their position group as far back as we could gather data. Um, what it does is we look at every testing metric that we can get, and we compare them, it's a feedback. Um, we compare them to their position group from 1987 to the player's draft year. We put each of those, those individual metrics on a zero to 10 scale. I then take all of those scores and I put them together to make an average. That average is then compared to the average for every player again, from 1987 all the way to their draft year, that gives us that final 0 to 10 score, which tells you, relative to their position, the reason behind it, how athletic is that guy and what's the score? Um, So the the whole point was trying to put, again, a 0 to 10 on something just to be able to say, how athletic is he compared to everybody else at his position? Um, Thankfully, as we'll get into in a little bit, there's a lot more to it than that. This was meant to just be a simple illustration of it in a number. And I mean, you kind of mentioned earlier about um, some of the athletes like Le'Veon Bell um, and Richard Sherman when they were coming in that you said, 
like people weren't looking past um their 40 was that kind of what inspired you to, to create it or was there um was there something else besides that that was the big part of it you know you you'd get people that would key in on it and and that's usually the biggest roadblock that you run into when you develop something from an analytics standpoint is people will people will get really locked in to anything that disproves it anything that they think is, is flies in the face of whatever you're trying to do and you have to embrace those sorts of things you have to embrace the people that that still hit and don't don't match what you expect them to like you're, you're never going to find something that matches 100 percent um so you're, you're just looking for something that works often enough that it can be used as a predictive metric um both to find guys that should succeed and guys that probably shouldn't that makes a ton of sense that makes a ton of sense um shifting gears a little bit uh diablo gato had a question earlier and we were kind of getting into this earlier before you know in the pre-party before the ama had started uh how did you current how did you settle on the current graphic template and um for the rest data and do you have any plans for updating it um yes i do plan on updating it um because the reason i created this current one went away um so <laughs> the original one that i had created was was intended just to get as much data as i could as possible but it's really crowded there's there's a ton of data you're getting on there because you're looking at 10 metrics um two metrics each for eight of them so that's 16 metrics plus height and weight plus uh, arm and, and uh, hand size, plus player name, player school, player position, all that data gets piled into this one area. And it's very easy to just become an Excel spreadsheet, um, to become a, a chunk of data that, that is not visually appealing at all. And people don't care to see that crap. You know, it's, it's just too much stuff to throw out there for general public to view. Um, I get that a lot now about why I don't have arm and hand length uh, Arm side, arm length and hand size on there anymore, and it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit anymore. Um, the current iteration I created because Twitter changed how they did images um, and how they would display when you when you would uh, when you would go into Twitter and scroll through your feed. So they were created to optimize it both for mobile and for desktop, so that whenever you you put posted a card, it would take up that whole box and just that whole box. You wouldn't have to click on the card to be able to see all of the data that you needed, which again, when you have so little real estate, you can only fit so much information. Um, but Twitter is, I guess, making it so that it's gonna scale your images anyway. So the whole point of me doing that uh, went away. Um, plus I've been asked by several people um, to recreate the larger card that has the more data um, just because they want it and they think it's fun. And I think having the option to have that is is fine. You know, if I have the main one that I do because it's optimized for social, you know, that's that's great. But if people want to see all that data and stuff, they should be able to. So I'm working at recreating one for that. And as we were talking about, I think offline might have been online at that point. Um, I'm recreating the overlay system that I had on the downloadable where you can select the school, select the team, those sorts of things. Um, because people like that stuff. And I want to get all that stuff redesigned and rebuilt into it. It's just not there yet. I've, I've started. The structure is there. The the cards themselves aren't. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I mean, we have a few we have a few guys here uh, that are super into hand size specifically too. I know um, we have some guys that do some IDP that probably would also love to see arm length in there as well, or 
you know, just gen the general scouting interest. We have some draft nicks as well. It's, you know, I mean, that work is fun. So it's, uh, it's really interesting to hear that, you know, about the work that's getting added on. I know you mentioned some challenges without having a, uh, without being able to hire a uh, graphics artist. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's not a lot of money in this stuff. You know, I, I do a lot of this uh, because people want it. There's there's a demand for it. I get a little bit of ad money from the site, um, but I do it mostly because it's fun and and I, I enjoy doing it. You know, the the cards themselves are great. I, I added functionality so you can switch player positions. So if there's a guy that plays wide receiver and running back, you can just go underneath the card, select running back, hit go. You can do that for any position. If you want to see what what uh, KJ Costello would look like as an offensive lineman. You can do that. Um, you know, it's it's probably not very useful for things like that, but it could be fun, right? Um, I know I had somebody run Jarvis Landry as an offensive lineman the other day. That was that was enjoyable. Um, you know, but things like that that people want, you, know, you have to build out that functionality and make it work. I have a, I have a whole write up that comes for the players that tells the individual ranking for every single player test. Um, you can actually flip it now so that it does all time. So you, Currently, it goes up to the player's draft year, but I have functionality built up now where you can have it do all time, where it'll compare any player from any year to every player in the entire database from 1987 to 2021. Because um, people wanted that. People wanted to be able to do side-by-side -side comparisons of those types of things. Um, and I'm going to keep doing things like that. I'm just keep adding as many things like, yeah, I'm going to do a player compare where they pull up players side-by-side -side and you can look at them. Um, I'm, I've got a lot of stuff planned that is in flight. I'm a bit erratic in how I code. So I have my, my everything works code that has all my stuff that actually works in one file. And then I have a file where nothing works. And I, I just take things from here, make them work, and then put them in the other one. That is a, uh, that is a certified fresh development technique. Functional, <laughs> um, it works. It's fresh. I know that we've had some uh, users in the past mention that uh, it's po it was possible to get the uh, basically the full database out of uh, relative athletic scores. Is it is that a functionality that you envision returning, or is that something that it was planned to have that removed? So I didn't plan on having that removed. What what had happened was people are people like to ruin things for everybody else. Is what that happens. So you know, I I do a lot of this work and. I don't present any of this data as if I go to all of these pro days and individually measure all these guys themselves. You know, I, I don't do that. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into it that I'm not involved in. I compile all of that data into one spot. Um, but there are people who like to take other people's work and present it as if it's their own, which is not cool and not at all. It's just not cool. And people did that. So um, I got burned a little bit by that. I don't offer the whole data set anymore uh, because of that. I am looking at ways to still allow people to review the database in a meaningful way. Um, I have a couple of ways that I'm, I'm re-adding that stuff in. But I don't think there will ever be a way to download the database again, just because it's a lot of work to put together. And having people say, I did that is, is, just, is just not cool. Yeah, that's really unfortunate that you had to deal with that. But I know that it's part of, you know, I mean, I'm, I would assume that's part of the challenge of being yeah. a content creator is having to uh, having to fight with people who misuse your data. Um, is there getting into some more specifics of how the RAS score is actually calculated? 
is there uh, elements of res that are weighted in the final score, or um, what considerations, if there isn't, would you think about doing that if you wanted to add some weighted? Or is it so so add I, some weight? I, I get asked this a lot, and I, I don't currently, and I don't have any plans to do any to do that for the current res score the way that it's done now. Um, because the intention was to make it as simple as possible. And the way that it works now, the size takes up about 20% of the score. And that acts as a weight against the rest of it. And I did a ton of math to make sure that that, and, and that was just really simple. It's just 20%. It's only two metrics, you know. But I did a lot of testing to make sure that that was a fair representation of how much size should be taken into account. Um, and it was the best way that I found. Um, creating a composite metric using hand size and arm size, things like that. I didn't like the concept because RAS is meant to be the same across all positions. You know, it only compares them to the position group, but the actual concept is the same regardless of which position you're looking at. Uh, but hand size doesn't mean crap for cornerbacks, really. Um, it matters for running backs. It matters for quarterbacks. Arm length matters for offensive linemen but it doesn't really matter quite as much for some other positions. So, and how much it matters is different. Same thing with the bench press. Longer arms means, uh, generally means a lower bench press. It doesn't mean they're weaker. It's just how physics works. There's, there's the basic, basic physics that go into how a lever works. And when you're lifting a, a weight on a bench, you're using a lever, your arms are levers. So you know, there's there's a lot of that stuff that comes into it, but it, I couldn't find a good way to do it where it's universal across everything. Now, having said all that, um, adding in that type of functionality where that stuff is taken into account is stuff that I'm looking into. Um, I added some explosion stuff onto the site. You can actually pull up any card and do an explosion write-up, and it'll give you some different uh, measurements based on force. I was actually asked to do that. Um, the CFL uses uh, that type of measurement quite a bit. Um, the NFL, as far as I'm aware, doesn't really. But... I was asked to do that because it was it was a useful metric. So I put that together. I plan on doing a lot of stuff like that. Um, I'm going to get the miles per hour stuff back up for the speed. People really like that. Um, a lot of that stuff, some of it's useful, some of it may not be useful, but we won't know unless we have it out there. And people like being able to look at that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to get a bunch of that stuff built out, uh, but it won't ever go into the original score itself. Sure. That makes sense. Is that the miles per hour you're talking about? Is that based off of the uh, their like their forty time, or is that like game speed or anything like that? Blank twenty. So be, because we can't get like GPS tracking data out of this stuff, you know, it's it's just math. It's just taking their forty times, subtracting their twenty, and you get the flying twenty, um, and that is presumably the fastest the player is moving at any point during their forty is during that second half of their forty, um, and then it's. I think you, you have to convert it to feet per second, and then it's times 0.681818 or something like that. There's a math there's a math version that goes into it, um, but it's it's just math. Sure. Um, kind of getting into some of the uh, 40 stuff as well, uh, Adam Steelers fan is asking, uh, if this year, have you had to change, are you, you changing your process at all without the combine? When and then when like comparing forties, I know that there is a group of people. There's two camps to that. Some people who fight about not adjusting, and some who fight about adjusting. Where do you fall on that uh, in that debate? So I never adjust regular pro day forties. Um, I, I did a study back in 2017, 2018 about the difference between a player who ran both the combine and their pro day, 
Um, and you have a general adjustment of about 0 0.07 for skill positions and 0.1 for line positions. Um, I don't do that because even though that is an average, um, it doesn't mean that it was universal across every school. Schools are different. Um, it doesn't mean it was universal across players. Some players actually ran slower 40 times at their pro days than they did. So are we adjusting those as well? Um, using a, a Lions bust as an example, T. Tabor ran a 4.62 at, at the combine and then a 4.72 at his pro day. Are we assuming that his pro day was even slower than that? You know, some people like to say you got to give that adjustment member. And I don't, I don't for the, the purposes of creating scores, I don't for the purposes of tracking. I figure people want to make that adjustment, they can make it on their own. Um, and I'm actually building in that type of functionality where you can change the metrics directly on a player's card and rerun their score based on that. Um, I have a calculator up, but you have to enter it in a, in a form or whatever. I'm trying to make it a little bit easier. Um, but I don't. As far as if this year has been different, Yes, so different in so many ways. Um, 40 times have been all over the place. But here's the thing. It's not what people think it is, right? People think, people think that people are getting all these juice times. Um, and they are, if you pay attention to the media. Uh, but that's not any different than any other year. It has always found the best time and just release those times because it makes the players look good. That's their audiences, the people who are reading this local guy. So it's their, it's, they want to hear how their players do and they want their players to be good. Um, this year, the schools are releasing times that are almost exactly the times that are being released to the NFL. Um, and that's an improvement. Uh, in previous years, the schools, depending on which school, um, would, would release juice times. Um, some schools were getting really good at it, um, and it's been improving for years as, as schools get laser times added into their, their – they get the equipment, and they get the program set up so they can do laser timing. Um, it's been improving year after year. Um, but there's still some schools that just juice their times. Um, that isn't happening a lot this year at all. But we're also getting less of that. The, the schools aren't releasing the times like they used to. Uh, most of the schools are only releasing them to the scouts or the people that are in attendance and like nobody's there. So um, we're getting less data, but de better data from those sources. Makes sense. That's good um, to know moving forward. Now, the splits have been awful, um, even the official ones. So I don't know if that's a, a byproduct of schools trying uh, uh, different procedures toward the NFL's oversight. I'm not sure what that is, but the splits have been awful this year. Um, not that they've all been bad. They've just been really erratic, consistently erratic. Um, I know uh, Pitt had just the best. Every one of their guys had the best splits, even if they had crappy 40 times. Um, I think it was Iowa. There was another one that was the opposite, where their, their 10-yard splits were terrible, even if their guys had great 40 times. Um, I know that it's not correct. I, I can't really do anything about it because I, I'm, I track whatever information goes to the NFL. So if I get information from a scout or from an agent who has a verified time that I can verify, Draft Scout gets their information from reliable sources, so if you get your information from there, they're very reliable. Um, but a lot of that information is just not the best standard from year to year but the 40 times themselves are, are actually pretty decent yeah i noticed that i was I, that was actually a question i was about to ask you if you wanted about why it seemed like the 
the the uh, the splits were so erratic. So it's good to note that I wasn't the only one who noted uh, that it that it, it, the, the, yeah. it was a widespread issue. It is. It's weird. Where where do you um do you end up doing some automation for collecting your uh times or, or like all the metrics or do you end up having to do, put in a lot of manual process? It's almost entirely manual. Uh, the updates themselves is all automated. I, I have a system that is very simple for me um, to make sure that I can do all the updates, get it all up into the tables and everything. Uh, but as far as collecting the data, um, you know, there's there's so many sources, it's, it's impossible to automate unless I was just ripping off one group of sites. Like if I, if I just took whatever Draft Scout was doing, I could probably do that, but for one, that would be dishonest and a dick move to people who provide a service to the NFL draft community at large, you know, to, again, taking somebody else's work and saying, I did that, I, I did that. Um, but also people want to get this information like now, it, you know, draft scout post their stuff when they have the official numbers, which could be a day, it could be a week, it could be two weeks after the, the player's pro day. You know, people want to know how bad uh, Gregory Rousseau's times really were now. Uh, they want to know... Uh, how fast, whether Jason Owa's uh, 40 time was the fastest for a defensive end. They want to know that stuff right now. Um, so I collect times from wherever I can. I collect metrics from wherever I can. I manually update it. Um, I have a system that makes it easier, but it is a lot of manual work. I would assume then that also includes then having to go back and update with the official times once you have them. Yeah, yeah, I get I get official times. I get asked that a lot. Um, I mentioned DraftScout. DraftScout's great, and they've been a great resource for years. Um, but I've been doing this for a while, and I can get a lot of that stuff beforehand. Um, not to dismiss the work that they do, but I, I have I have a lot of people who talk to me about their their players. I have agents that contact me about their players and how they did. I have scouts that contact me about it. Um, I get a lot of the information from them most years. This year's. Hasn't, hasn't been as good just because there's not the guys that I usually contact haven't been at the pro days. Um, it's, it's just a weird oh, really? year. It's just a weird year. You know, they don't, they don't send everybody out to the pro days. There's still a lot of social distancing guidelines that limit how many people can be there. You know, it's, it's just harder to get that kind of information. But again, the schools have been so good at releasing accurate information that it hasn't been much of a concern because even the, the agility times, which are, awful even in, in normal years those are awful they're never correct but this year even the bad schools have been really close in those numbers if not exact so if you see something that's released from the school there's a better chance that's correct than not that's good to, that's good to know it's good to keep in mind it's certainly that's useful having considering we don't have the uh, combine this year because it definitely would have made things difficult if we had the normal like the no, the normal pro day numbers, um, but it looks like uh, Solar is asking in the in the chat. Uh, he was bringing up the Daniel Jeremiah tweet um, about uh, GPS data, and you're just kind of uh, curious on, about how far in your mind do you think NFL teams are away from like moving to GPS uh, data in general. Some teams already have. I, I think what it's really going to do is it's, it's going to we're going to have to get to a point where the we've collected enough data that it becomes meaningful. Um, for anybody that's followed me on Twitter, I generally do my studies from 2000 on, um, and part of that is just because people don't really remember some of the guys from pre 2000. You know, a lot of NFL fans are just younger, especially on social media. Not everybody's as old as me. Um, <laughs> 
But, you know, it, it's, it's not just that. It's that the data wasn't as reliable. The, the NFL combine started in 1985, and they started officially collecting data in 1987. And it got changed in 99 and then again in 2005. And it, it wasn't until 2005 where things really got standardized and started getting tracked and reliably uh, charted. Um, but... Anything before 2000, it's not that it's worthless data. It's just that you're not comparing it to a lot. Um, you know, somebody brought up Joey Bosa's dad, uh, the Bosa dad. Who's, I'm forgetting what the dad, John Bosa, um, because he had a 10 Rad when he first came out. Well, he came out in 1987, which was the first year that we had data. And somebody else had it the next year. And it's not that they tested poorly. It's that he tested against, like, 18 guys. Whereas right. now I'm testing against like, I don't know what defensive end is, like 900 something people. You know, I've got over 2,000 wide receivers, 1,700 running backs and stuff. It's a lot different now when you have that much data collected um, because it's, you're, you have a large enough data set, it becomes more stable and more reliable as a metric. Um, the GPS data is going to go through that same kind of learning curve. Um, and that's, that's, it's just a matter of when that amount of data becomes sufficient. And I don't have a number on that. But that's that's what we're waiting on. Yeah, no, I mean that makes that makes a ton of sense. Speaking of uh, comparing back, like comparing historically, uh, who was uh, who's been your biggest surprise uh, since you've been tracking this information uh, in their RAS score? God, I have so many. Like I, I mentioned, a lot of that data from back in the day was not super reliable. Um, but you go back and you watch like guys that were just great, like Robert Porche from the Lions, who's one of the best pass rushers in Lions history, if not the best pass rusher in Lions history. Uh, and he tested really poorly. You don't expect that type of stuff. Um, Earl Thomas didn't test all that well. Um, he's a special type of safety, which, which, you know, there's, there's a subtype that I have where you're not just looking at the score, you're looking at other metrics, but that surprised me. Uh, Jarvis Landry is easily the biggest Raz outlier, and I love I love bringing his card up because it's just the worst. It's just the worst card. Uh, Jarvis Landry scored a zero point two seven out of ten, which is just abysmal. Uh, and it would have been much worse if he wasn't like two hundred and five pounds. If he was smaller, he would have been it would have been even worse. But he had the the worst shuttle cone time ever recorded, the worst cone time ever recorded. The worst 10-yard split ever recorded. The worst vertical ever recorded for a wide receiver. Um, and I think it was the worst 20 split ever recorded by a wide receiver uh, ever at the combine. So five different metrics out of 10. He was the worst ever. Um, and obviously, Jarvis Landers had a good career. Um, he, he tested with a bum hamstring, which nobody should ever do. Uh, but he did. He just did terrible. <laughs> just the worst. Um, he did, he did heal up and tested again at his pro day, and he tested better, much better than that. Still bad, but much better. Um, but it's it's always my favorite one to point to just because of how bad it is. Like it's, it's just terrible. Yeah, I know he shows up in a lot of outlier testing that yeah. I, since I've been using uh, your RAS scores as well. Um, so given we hit a few historical ones, was there one this year that um, really surprised you as well? Uh, yeah, Jalen Mayfield didn't test well, and that surprised me. I expected him to test really good, especially in in this class that has so many top tier tackles. That was that was a bit surprising. Uh, Michael Carter didn't test all that well. He tested today, 
Um, he did put up a sub four shuttle, which is really, really good. Very, very rare. Uh, and a really good cone. So his agility is really good. But I expect him to run a little better. Uh, Mac Jones out of Alabama. Uh, he didn't test great. He didn't test out as an elite athlete. Um, I didn't expect him to test out bad. Um, but I didn't, I didn't expect him to test out as well as he did. He tested out a reasonable bit above average. Um, but a lot of people kind of expect him to be, to be much closer to the middle than he actually was. Uh, and then Simi Fahoko out of Stanford uh, tested extremely well. Um, and it's not so much that I didn't expect him to test well. I didn't expect him to test that well. Um, and to have as many people who had already been on that train and, and been watching the Simi Fahoko and been like, oh, yeah, totally saw that coming. I, I didn't. I was very pleasantly surprised by how he tested. Uh, let's see. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, changing gears a little bit, we had a question from Sam. Uh, what is your opinion on the Nike Vapor Fly Tech? Uh, he used <laughs> to work at a research lab and was undecided if he could fully appreciate it. He thought that this is an advance, but uh, it seems like a massive jump, and he's rumored that the uh, Vapor Fly Track spikes uh, were given to an athlete that uh, were tested by an athlete that broke Usain Bolt's 100 meter record. Yeah, any any equipment, man, any any shoes, anything that you do to to get an edge, these guys are on top of it. Um, training is one of those things where it's really you got to train for this stuff, right? Everybody knows you got to train better at anything, and players train specifically for these drills. And if a player tries some kind of equipment and says, holy crap, this is making me work, this is making me run a lot faster, they're going to wear that shit, and they're not going to tell anybody. They're going to keep that right to themselves. Um, all of their teammates will be wearing it when they run, and then it'll eventually get picked up. Um, but it's an, it's an edge that is, uh, I think, underrated, because you know it, it's, there's so much preparation that goes into this stuff, and so many things that can go wrong with such a high-variance drill. You know, a, a guy has a bad get-off, um, and they talk about this a lot during the combine. So if you're ever paying attention to the actual conversation that's going on, they talk about when guys get off the line. Um, Rich Eisen talks about that a lot when he does his run. But if you make even a little bit of mistake getting off the line, that can really screw up your time because it not only screws up like act the actual passage of time, it takes longer, but it's, it screws up how fast you get up to speed. Um, so yeah, any any kind of edge, including equipment, players are going to jump right on. Um, people are going to keep getting faster. Yeah, I mean, even talking about that get off, I as a former track athlete, like just watching some of these uh, some of these guys just stand straight up right out of the gate on their forty. I'm like, did you even practice for this at all? <laughs> oh god, yeah, you know it too. If if you've seen it, you know it, and that's the yep. first thing you see. And you're, it's it's painful, physically painful yep. to see it when it gets when it happens. It's like, oh no. They stand straight up. You're like, why did you even get down in a stance at all in the first place? Yeah. You could have just started yeah. from like a running start mm -hmm. or uh, lined up two point. Right, but uh. So one of our, uh, our the moderators here, Burn, is a uh, he's also a uh, lifelong Lions fan. So he says, first of all, go Lions! Uh, <laughs> but he's a regular visitor of Relative Athletic Scores and a big fan. Um, and basically, I guess we're gonna we kind of answered some of his question already, but I think what we're gonna twist this into is like, how um, have you seen them be indicative of success in the NFL? 
or in you know maybe which positions they're a better indicator of um which positions it might be a little more technical as well sure. yes so uh, i i always try to explain it and it's it's kind of difficult to to really get into it without going really deep in the numbers but it as a general indicator of success has been fairly correlated even at positions that it doesn't really make a lot of sense like quarterback right um I posted a long thread about thousand yard receivers a couple of days ago and I, I went through that and <laughs> I did it specifically started the lower guys so Jarvis Landry and I worked my way all the way up but I started posting it at 805 in the morning um, and I posted every a guy every five minutes until 420 in the afternoon the first hour was the guys who tested below average the rest of the day was the guys that, that posted above average so you can look at it that way, man. It, it's it's like seven to one or six to one, whatever it was. Uh, the guys that are above average than below. So it's it's a better indicator of guys who are unlikely to be successful than it is guys who are oh my god for sure to be successful. Um, and you should never look at any metric, any individual metric, as an absolute indicator of success. And athletic testing is one of those you definitely shouldn't, because you have to take into account injury, you have to take into account workload. Um, which I know you have a fantasy question about that part too, about running backs. But um, in general, the, the better a guy tests athletically, or not even the better a guy tests, that's not a really good way of putting it. Better athletes tend to have better success in the NFL than guys who don't test well. Um, a lot of that has to do with opportunity. Uh, the better athletes get drafted higher. Drafted, guys they get drafted higher generally get more opportunities. So it's, it's kind of a, a, a Think something that works together, right? But even guys that aren't drafted very highly are more likely to be successful at most positions if they have good testing. The best players tend to have tested well. So uh, it doesn't really matter that much at center. It's the only position that has no clear correlation. Um, I don't know why. I don't have an answer. I've asked many people. I've asked offensive linemen. They don't know either. Um, it has a Spotty correlation at safety and at defensive tackle, and that has to do with typing. Um, safety, I mentioned there's a subtype of that. I've kind of got that figured out. Uh, defensive tackle, it's because of nose tackles. Nose tackles test like crap. You look very good or not, they, they test like crap. Um, but I, it is, it is a good indicator of success generally, but there's more to the data than just, yep, it's better to have a higher score. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense that it uh, ends up working very well in combination with it sounds like, you know, you gen generally end up recommending it be used with in combination with other metrics as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, let's see here. Yeah. So kind of um, speaking to that, speaking in combination, how, you know, you can use it together. Have you found that um, there there anything that it works well with in correlation to like fantasy success as well so opportunity as i said is the, is the big thing and, and with with fantasy football opportunities is king you know because you you want guys to catch footballs and get yardage you want guys to take carries and get yardage and you want guys to be on the field in touchdown situations so opportunity is huge um and the, you get you get better opportunities generally as well but if you have a guy that's drafted in the first round, you have a running back that's drafted in the first round, but he didn't test all that well. Josh Jacobs is a good example. Um, 
you know, the, he's drafted in the first round of a team that's going to run the damn football. That's much more important than the fact that they didn't test it well. Because even if he was crap, he was going to get the football a bajillion times. It was, it was just going to happen. Um, Absolutely. Is true when you have, the opposite is true when you have a guy that shares a backfield. I know he mentioned DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift shared a backfield last year, so his opportunities weren't all there. Um, you know, he had to share a backfield with Adrian Peterson, carrying on Johnson. The Lions were just determined to try to let Adrian Peterson get as many carries as he could. Um, but he's probably going to be the number one guy this year. He's going to have more opportunities. Um, what I think it really helps with is when you start looking at stuff like dynasty stashes, guys that you want to stash for dynasty. Um, because those guys are the guys that have a better chance to break out. You have guys like Aaron Jones, who was drafted much later in the draft. A fantastic athletic profile. He was reasonably durable. He was a guy that you could see breaking out if he got a little bit of an opportunity. And he's much more likely to hit than a later round pick with poor testing. Because guys that aren't fast, they don't get a lot of opportunities. Guys that aren't explosive, they don't get put in a lot of power situations. If you can't burst through a line when a guy gives you a hole, coaches aren't going to give you the football. So uh, it helps a lot with stuff like Dynasty because it, it, it gets you those guys that have a better chance to break out in handcuff situations and things like that. Um, as far as starters, I use it as a tiebreaker. Like if I have two guys that are going up against, um, and again, it's there's so many times you have to look at deeper than that, you know, comparing. If, if the guy may not test well, but if he's going against a corner who didn't test well, it doesn't matter. Or if he's like T. Um, Higgins from the Bengals, who has a wingspan of a, a you know pterodactyl, you know, if he's going up against a, a 5'10 corner with 31-inch arms, I don't care that he didn't test well. Because if the Bengals aren't stupid, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, run, be fast now. They're, they're going to be like, oh, right, use your incredible wingspan to provide separation, and that's how you're going to win. You know, that's when you really got to start looking to it. But um, if you're not as deep into the players and you're not as deep into the matchups and stuff and you just want to use something that, that will help, um, I think it has some value. Um, again, more so in dynasty situations or as tiebreakers between guys. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I know that we have a, we've had a couple of guests on in the past that have mentioned that they use uh, your scores as well. Um, I think Drew Austinchuk, our DFB encounter on Twitter, mentioned that he uses it specifically with uh, first-round receivers. He'll grade them as generational if they start hitting a certain RAS score. So things like that. Um, yeah, and like I said, if, if they test poorly, it's usually a worse sign. You mentioned positions where it hits or where mm-hmm. it hits more. Like tight end, for me, if a tight end tests below five, he's not a day one or a day two guy. He just isn't to me. Uh, Irv Smith tested below average. He was drafted in the second round by the Vikings. Ever drafted Irv Smith though as a charge of the team. And it's not that Irv Smith is bad. It's just that the likelihood of him succeeding to the to a matter uh, level that matters in the NFL is so low that it wouldn't be worth the value. Um, I don't run an NFL team, so I don't have to make those decisions. I, I get to be have some conviction about making those types of, of judgment calls. Um, but if you have a tight end, you want them to be an elite athlete. And in fact, not a single tight end. In the 34 years that we have covered, has been drafted in the first round that had a below average score. It's never happened. Um, it's teams, NFL teams have the same concept. If you don't meet those benchmarks, you're not getting drafted early. Um, we haven't had anybody that, that bombed out that bad this year, but it is something to look out for. And it happened with Irv Smith. Same thing with running backs. We've only had one running back 
uh, in the, the history of me doing this metric uh, who's drafted in the first round, which was Mark Ingram. Um, and he had a good career. I don't think he had a draft him in the first round career, but he had a good career and he's lasted forever. Um, but he's the only one. You know, and, and there's a lot of guys like Mark Ingram that aren't super fast, but they have a lot of traits that, that works on the football field. Um, so the score doesn't really matter as much as long as you win in a different way. Yeah, I think we kind of talked about some of the um, some of the positions and like draft capital that are ways that you know maybe athletes that don't test as well could win. Is, is there anything you know that so we've had a, we had a question that was basically like, um, what are uh, would you say that those are most of it, or do you think that there's some other patterns there? Uh, there's a lot athlete? of it. And it, 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 there's a lot, I keep mentioning typing, you know, there's a lot of typing in the NFL where we, we try to break things down. And when you're doing a relative metric, it's difficult to break it down because you need that volume to provide value. So like nickel corner, if I broke out all the nickel corners, now I have a much smaller data set of cornerbacks. I'm not sure the metric is quite as useful. Um, but you start to look at those types of guys and, and where they test and how, um, if you have a wide receiver like T Higgins, who isn't super fast, isn't super explosive, but that's not how he wins. He wins because he's able to box guys out. He has that ridiculous wingspan. He's got really good hands. He runs a good route tree. You can still win in the NFL with that. There's no reason to downgrade him just because of his testing, because that's not how he wins. You know, if if uh, Anthony Schwartz had ran a four five, that had been a big deal for his draft stock because Anthony Schwartz wins by being faster than everybody on the field. So if he is not faster than everybody on the field, what do you have him for? You know, does he provide that value projecting him into the NFL? Um, thankfully, he did. He ran a 4 2 8 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what you're looking at is how does a guy win and does it really matter? And it's one of the, the biggest things that I've learned evaluating players in the NFL is try, how to try to identify those things. Uh, Orlando Brown a couple of years ago tested just terribly at the combine. One of the worst all-time performances at the combine ever for a tackle. Uh, got yelled at for loafing in one point, which I always find is a funny piece of of, uh, of history. But uh, obviously Orlando Brown has been good, and I, I go back and watch any players that I miss on or that have a bad score and still do well, or have a great score and then fail to try to figure out why. Um, and I didn't even have to do that much because Orlando Brown explained it all in an interview last year about how he wins and why he's able to succeed in the NFL about using his length and using an understanding of the angles that players are coming at. So he's just got these ridiculously long arms, great, great wingspan, and he's got a really good understanding of leverage. And he's able to use that to beat speed guys that would normally beat slower offensive tackles. They would normally be able to get past guys who tested that slowly just by out-athleting them. But he figured out a way to beat that. That doesn't mean that everybody who tests poorly is Orlando Brown. And that's another thing you get a lot is every slow receiver is Anquan Bolton. Every single one. Unless they're small, then they're Jarvis Landry. Um, every, every slow running back with a little bit of balance and power is always Kareem Hunt now. Yeah, it's, that stuff gets me. I was like, they are not even remotely the same guy. Um, but you do, you do look out for those traits because it helps. You know, and, and NFL evaluators do the same thing, and that's how they're able to find those players later in the draft. 
Um, I mentioned typing at safety. The Lions hired Brad Holmes as their general manager. One of the things that he did really well when he was with the Rams was identifying value with safety, finding safeties later in the draft um, who were who were really good. And he picked almost exactly the same type every single time. They didn't test that well if you were just looking at an overall standpoint or the 40. Um, what he's looking at is he's looking at their 40. He's like, well, they didn't have a good 40. But they did have a 10-yard split. And they did have really good explosion methods. So it's not about, oh, can I run fast in a straight line? It's about, is he explosive enough to identify a play, start getting towards where the ball is going to end up being fast enough to get there? You know, NFL is a game of inches. The, the difference between a 4-5 and a 4-6, if you're just running next to each other, that's a pretty significant distance. But if you're an explosive guy and you can get up, you can identify something quickly and burst out of your stance quickly and go from a stop to moving as fast as you can quickly, you can get 20 yards faster than somebody who runs faster than you just by starting faster than they do and getting off faster than they do, which is, we mentioned that about track. It's the same thing on an NFL football field. Um, but people look at the 40 yard dash as runs fast in straight line. And that's, I mean, that's, that's what you're testing, but that's not, that's not what NFL evaluators care about. They don't care about runs fast and straight line. They care about whether you have the athleticism to go from a stop or backpedaling or running in one direction and having to change direction quickly. How quickly can you get up to speed, and is that speed sufficient to get you to where you need to be on most plays? Um, and that's the stuff that they're looking for. I don't even remember what the question was. I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> Happy for us just to continue winding through these things. I mean, it's it's good right. to get you know. What I mean, like people come here to pick your to pick your mm -hmm. brain on these things, right? Um, speaking of a couple of oh, speaking of a couple of outliers, I know that we had talked about you know ways like uh, how Orlando Brown wins, even though he is an outlier. There are a couple of outliers in uh, this year's draft class that have uh, have been sparking a bit of debate among you know what i mean our uh our members here what what are your uh thoughts on the outlier profiles of rondell moore and devonta smith so yes this is a bmi question way 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 yeah. in whether it matters so here's the thing i i had this conversation uh many times before about size because it, it always comes down to durability whether a guy can stand up in the NFL. Um, Rondale Moore is, is 5'7", 180, um, I believe. Yeah, 5'7", 180. Um, Devontae Smith is six foot and 170 pounds. He's much lankier. He's much 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 more wiry from build. Um, whenever you look at those guys, you try to find other players and whether or not they succeeded in the NFL. So I did that. I found a lot of guys like Rondale Moore, guys that were small but athletic. Um, he's really thickly built, uh, Rondale Morris. He's short, but he's thickly built. Um, his lack of length could be a problem. That could be a problem in the NFL. It's, it's something that might hold him back. It's something that doesn't project well. But he's also just the stupidest athlete. I mean, he, he tested out just ridiculous. He's fast. He's explosive. Um, every small, fast, explosive receiver, as we all know, is Tyree Kill. Um, they all are. Um, or and if they're not him, they're they're Tavon Austin. You know they 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 like to compare these guys, but that's that's what you're looking at is is for if he can be successful is finding a similar type of player 
built similarly with a similar athletic profile? And did they succeed in the NFL? Yeah, we can find one. We can find a whole bunch that didn't. Um, but that doesn't mean that Rondale Moore is going to be bad because a bunch of people didn't and then one guy did. It means that you can find a way that he can be successful. And if you're a smart coach and you have a good player, you find a way to make them successful. The issue with Devontae Smith is there is no comparison. Um, we, we went through and looked at guys that were smaller weight, um, guys that came into the NFL at 180 pounds. Nobody's come into the NFL at 170 pounds and been successful. It's never happened, um, at least in the modern age. Um, you find guys who were skinnier and still successful. And one of the biggest ones that keeps coming up is Marvin Harrison. Uh, Marvin Harrison had like 15 pounds on Devontae Smith. And Marvin Harrison was not coming from the Alabama weight program after putting on only five pounds in four years. Um, you know, Harrison was able to put on a little bit more weight onto his frame when he came into the NFL. Devontae Smith has a really wiry frame, and he might be maxed out. He might be completely maxed out on his frame. Does it matter? Have you watched him play? He, he takes hits. He takes big hits sometimes, and he gets right back up. Um, he's a huge projection. He's a guy that you're looking at to be an outlier, and that's going to scare some people off. Some people don't like taking those types of risks. Um, because there isn't an example of a guy who succeeded, it's going to be tough for some people to buy into that scenario where, where Devontae Smith is going to be successful. There's also no real scenarios of guys like him that failed in the NFL because there's not a lot of guys like Devontae Smith at all. Um, I really wish that he would have tested. Um, I don't think that he would have tested off the charts. I think he would have tested out okay. But he's a really tough projection. I wish I could come up with a better answer for it because it, it would be nice to just have a little closure on something. Um, but we don't have a comparison for Devontae Smith. We do for a guy like Rondale Moore. We know how he can be successful, and it really depends on landing spot. Devontae Smith, I have no idea. I have no idea how he's going to do If you had answers, you probably would have been talking with us. I love him. I, <laughs> I'd be getting paid much more doing much less. <laughs> exactly. Also, follow-up, how many Cs would you say – are in Rondale Moore's thickness. Let's stick with so many of these. <laughs> uh, All of them. Can't you see a picture of him? He's a living, if a pit bull, if you anthropomorphize a pit bull into human form, that is what it would look like. It's, it's just, he's, he's thick. He's absolutely. All right. So I'm about to butcher this name because I've only read it on Twitter and I have not pronounced it out loud. So just throwing that out there. Um, so we saw some testing recently from an Iowa State running back, uh, Kenny uh, Ngagu. Uh, fair. Uh, so he put up a top 18 uh, Raz for a running back. since the top 18 since 1987. What are you doing with that information? Yeah, this is, again, you, you have a guy who's coming in without a lot of hype. He wasn't the starter at his college. He wasn't putting up huge numbers. So what do you do with a guy like that? Right? Um, we've had guys like that come into the NFL before that have bigger flaws. Um, the Lions drafted a guy like that in uh, Dwayne Washington a few years ago, who was just a ridiculous athlete, um, blind as a bat, and fumbled all the time in college. So much less thought of player than Kenny Wayne. Um, but 
you're trying to figure out how to project him in the NFL. You're not going to draft him in the second round and be like, this is my starter now because he wasn't a starter in college and not everybody's Arian Foster coming from a garbage program. That's just like, no, we're just going to play the guys who are worse than you ahead of you forever. Um, you know, that's, that's not how most college programs work. It's definitely not how Iowa state operates. Um, but it doesn't mean that he's bad. He wasn't in a backup position because he was bad. You have a player that's, that's doing well ahead of you. That's, that's perfectly fine. Um, you, you're probably going to see him get drafted early day three, maybe mid day three, I would think, um, by a team that wants to develop him because he's got tools to develop. I mentioned Aaron Jones before. You know, there's there's certain times guys like that can fall into an ideal position where they have time to develop into a role and become a starter. Um, from a fantasy perspective, this is your your stash. This is your late round stash guy, depending on the team that he goes to. You know, if, if he's buried on a depth chart and he's just there's there's no way you can see him getting snaps, then that's probably more indicative of what his projection is in the NFL than how he tested and where he gets drafted is is how his depth chart looks when he goes there. Uh, if he lands somewhere where he gets some opportunities on game day, uh, where he's going to be a game day active, get some special teams time in, and get a couple of carries here and there, that could project well long term. That's the type of stuff you're looking at for guys like that, guys that aren't going to be your day one, two types. Yeah, I'd really love to see him in San Francisco with the uh, Shanahan system, see how someone that fast could make that work. They they like those types of guys. Right. Uh, So moving moving into more like the draft analytics uh, discussion, uh, to kind of discuss the uh, the Pro Football Network uh, mock draft simulator, how would you say that it's unique out there compared to other simulators? And or at the very least, what do you really enjoy about its functionality? I love everything about it because it's awesome, and that's I, I say that because I, I maintain it and I, I'm the curator of it. But um, it, it's it's free. Anybody can go out there and play this thing, and, and just go out and be a GM for a minute. Um, we go through great pains to make sure that you get realistic results whenever you run a mock draft. Now, that doesn't mean that every single result is going to be what you expect. There's going to be times you're going to run it and you're going to get some weird result where a guy drops that you don't expect it to. Um, I had one where uh, uh, Jamar Chase went 22nd overall. That's very unlikely. That's not, that's not likely to happen. But our simulator is set up, so those types of situations are possible because we know we know for a fact, draft day, that crap can happen. You've seen guys projected to go day, like early day three, go in the first round, San Francisco. You know, we've, we've seen guys who should not be drafted any lower than the top five. And we've seen them fall because of stupid reasons, like the gas mask thing with Laramie Tunsil. You know, we've seen that type of weird stuff happen. And we've seen stuff that just doesn't have an explanation. O.J. Howard was considered a generational tight end prospect, and he slid in the first round of the draft. Um, It happens every year. But if you run 10 mock drafts, if you run 15, 20 mock drafts, that's not going to happen more than just that once. Most of the time, Jamar Chase is going to go pretty high. Um, You're going to get the type of expectations that you get is going to happen more often than not. Yeah, you'll have those weird scenarios because that stuff happens and it's fun to see that kind of weird stuff. Maybe you're picking in the 20s and you have some guy that, that Kyle Pitts who falls. You know, that's not super likely. Kyle Pitts is considered the second best player in the draft by some people. He's also a tight end, you know, really strong tackle and wide receiver and quarterback class. 
We have four quarterbacks that could go in the top five. We have three receivers who should go in the top 10. We have, I think, seven offensive tackles who could go in the first round, four that are for sure going in the first round. That's more than half of the first round already. You know, it's possible that kind of stuff can happen. And what really makes the PFN mock draft simulator special, aside from, again, being free for anybody, is that if you run 10, 15, 20 mock drafts, every single one of those is going to be at least somewhat realistic to the way that it could happen in the NFL. And we go through great pains to make sure that teams draft in a realistic manner, that trades happen in a realistic manner, that the value is generally as realistic as we can be. It's never going to be perfect because the NFL has weird stuff happen all the time. We had a team this week, this past week, who, who traded twice in like 15 minutes. Um, and we're a month, we're still month and change out from the draft. You know, that, that type of stuff doesn't happen, but it happened. Um, so I, I, th I think that what's, what makes it special is that you can run a draft so fast and, and see, yeah, this would be really cool if this happened. Um, and then you can run another one and it'll be completely different but still pretty realistic. Um, plus I run it and I'm awesome. So, I mean, just that's, that's a selling point in and of itself. Uh, just look at me. I'm awesome. Uh, <laughs> speaking of some of that, uh, one of our users, Solar, was, or Tan, uh, was curious. He had asked about like how, um, how do you reconcile frequent like trade downs in the trade logic? Or I guess more broadly, does... Um, does the trade is the trade logic for each team affected by previous trades that happen? So I, I can't go into too much detail because it's, it's proprietary. But the the trade down logic is something we're constantly working on. There's there's the value part that you have to take into consideration. There's the value of the positions that people are trading up for. There's what's left on the board. There's the team needs of other teams. There's a lot of stuff that goes into into the trade logic when you're trying to set this stuff up. Um, and, uh, how do you reconcile frequent trade downs? So to answer that specifically, that's something we've been working on trying to fix about how often it happens. Um, trade downs happen, I think a little bit more often than they should in our simulator. Um, that's going to be fixed within the next couple of weeks, or at least tweaked in the next couple of weeks. Um, as far as how we reconcile that stuff, we just run a lot of we just run a lot of sims. We run a lot of sims and we try to collect as much data as we can so that we can collect analytics on ourselves to be able to say, this player is going too low for where we rank him, this player is going too high. Um, everybody loves Mac Jones now. We have to move him so people that can, can have him going higher in their drafts, even though we don't, we don't, we don't as a group like Mac Jones all that much. <laughs> um, but that's the stuff that we do. Uh, we, we, treat it, we treat it like it should be trade, treated. Um, about users abusing trade downs. There's nothing we can do about it because theoretically, that could happen. A team could theoretically just continue to trade down and just amass picks. It doesn't happen in real life. It's unrealistic. It is something you could do. You know, if a team decided that they were going to, they just hated this draft they wanted to trade out of every single one of their picks to collect picks in future drafts. They could do that. You could go into next year's draft with 27 drafts. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Uh, NFL teams don't work that way. Um, do we try to dissuade them? Um, again, there's a proprietary piece to it. The answer to that is yes. Um, but it's not, it doesn't come into play right away. 
So if, if you trade down, like if you get lucky enough and you get a bunch of short trades, I love those. I love short trades. Uh, oh, I want to trade up three spots for an extra day three pick. Yeah, sure. Cool. I'll take your money. That's cool. <laughs> um, you know, that, that if you get lucky and get a whole bunch of those, you could probably get a lot of picks. Um, because it uses value to figure out what the pick is worth, you, you don't generally get a whole bunch of those unless you're really lucky. That totally makes sense. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, uh, this I, I actually, this is something I wanted to ask you about. So I've seen some recent studies talking about the, or at least suggesting that the analytics or that the analytics is leading to uh, more intelligent draft capital by the NFL teams. So essentially saying that NFL teams draft cap is getting smarter. Is that something that you have looked at in the past or measured at all? Yeah, it's it's hard because it, we we fall back on the same problem. And, and if anybody has followed me on Twitter, they know I've talked about this seven or eight times a year, every year during draft season. But one of the biggest struggles that we have evaluating what constitutes a successful pick in the NFL draft um, is it a player that makes a Pro Bowl? Well, there's only so many Pro Bowls a year. I, I have Pro Bowls tracked on my website because it's it's at least somewhat useful. We have enough data to be able to say it's somewhat useful. But we also know that a lot of crappy players get drafted, get get put sent to the Pro Bowl. Um, we know that a lot of players who should go to a Pro Bowl don't. Um, we could use All Pro because All Pro is, is voted and it's generally considered consensus. Those are the greatest players, but there's only one one or two per year at any given position. Yeah. Um, so it's not a really good measure. Uh, traditional stats: I tracked uh, wide receiver uh, yardage and running back yardage and sacks on my website. You can look up those. Uh, tables, I believe I had that built out already, um, at, at certain thresholds to see whether that's a good measure of success. And it is a, a fair measure of success, but it's not perfect. Um, we're constantly trying to find ways to improve how we look at success. Is it whether they get a second contract? Because that isn't necessarily whether they were a successful pick or not. It could be they were, but the rest of the draft classes were garbage, and the team stunk, and the player didn't want to play there anymore. You know, it, it's there's so many factors that go into it. It's hard to find a, a good, solid measure of success. And one of the things I've been trying to do over the few, last few years is find different ways of measuring it and compiling them in, a, in such a way that you could look up each of them and be like, okay, they hit this metric and this metric and this metric. That's got to be considered a success, right? You, you can't hit all three of these and still be considered bad. Um, Salary's another one, but we've, we had uh, – What's his name? Bobby Hart got paid just out the butt by the Bengals last year. And he's one of the worst players in the NFL at any position. And they were like, well, we got to pay somebody. We're going to pay Bobby Hart. It's, it, it happens in weird ways. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad way. It, it just means that we have examples where it's going to throw the data off. Uh, but for the same reason that Jarvis Landry wasn't a bad draft pick because he tested poorly, we can't throw out salary as a measure just because Bobby Hart got paid a ton of money. Um, but it's it's a lot of data to compile, and getting all that information into one spot is, is tough. So I'm I'm doing my best to get that stuff around while I'm doing everything else. Um, but find a good measure of success, compare as many things as you can to it, and see what shakes out. Sometimes it's worthwhile. If it's not, you at least know that it's not a worthwhile data. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I, it, we certainly have seen teams spending money irrationally, especially this offseason, looking 
also looking at the uh, the Nelson Aguilar contract as another yeah. example. Um, so as an analytics kind of lifelong linesman, this is the uh, DeAndre Swift question that you had noticed earlier in the show sheet. Sure. Uh, what do you, how do you feel about his odds uh, of being like, it, the question specifically is a top 10 running back, but if you want to maybe take it a little more broadly and talk about what you think his opportunity looks like, what you think his performance is going to look like the next couple of years, it'd be great. Yeah, DeAndre Swift is a good player. Um, there's some durability concerns there. He's been injured a bit, and that seems to be what the Lions do every other year. I, I joke about it because they literally do this every other year. They draft a running back in the first or second round. He plays well. He gets hurt. They draft a running back in the second round. He plays well. He gets hurt. Just rinse and repeat. Um, so from a pure I've been a Lions fan forever standpoint, it's just a show that I've watched too many times. Um, but being fair to Swift, he's a good player, and he's going to get a ton of opportunities. Um, he's not sharing a backfield with a player who's going to get force-fed carries anymore. Um, Adrian Peterson had Daryl Bevel last year, who was his coach for many years in Minnesota, who just force-fed him carries at the dumbest times. It didn't make any sense. He was just getting force-fed, and Swift was getting nothing until later in the year, and that was dumb. He doesn't have that this year. You know, he's he's got uh, one guy that's going to be sitting behind him that's going to share carries. And that's it. DeAndre's just going to be the guy. So if he plays healthy, he get a ton of work because he also doesn't have a good quarterback. And the quarterback that he does have is going to dump passes all the time. I, I think he's going to get a ton of work this year. Um, I don't think his durability is good enough to me for me to say that he's somebody that could stand up and be a top 10 guy consistently. Um, I think this is the first time in 10 years that you have a valid fantasy option at running back in Detroit, which is as much of an endorsement as you can get, is, is that they, they might actually give a running back the opportunities to be that guy this year. Yeah, it's been what, since like Reggie Bush? Yeah, and, and that was another guy who was just force-fed everything. Um, actually, no, he shared, a, he shared a backfield with Joyke Bell. They had this really weird... That's right. It was good. It was a good backfield. It was a good backfield. You know, Reggie Bush wasn't good, but it was a good backfield just because they had a really good tandem uh, that fell apart because neither of those guys were durable. Right. I'm just thinking of that Spider-Man meme where they're all pointing at each other and it's like a bunch of them <laughs> in a circle and it's all the Detroit running backs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we had John Best and Mike Hellishore and Amir Abdullah and Carrion Johnson and DeAndre Swift. And that's just this decade. Right. <laughs> Oh, I miss Java Best. He was one of the first players I scouted from high school to pro. Uh, so much fun when he played. Just a jitterbug. Probably one of the best we've seen at that profile. Uh, what? Uh, what? Let's see here. What popular stat measure or stat or measurement do you feel is overrated in the analytics community? Sorry to pivot a little bit, but no, I said passer rating is trash. Um, it's garbage. It's a garbage stat. Um, you know, we, we use it to talk about how good of a passer that players are, but players who dump passes underneath can pad passer rating because it, it makes their, their percentage goes up. Uh, they don't throw a lot of interceptions because they're not throwing a lot of interceptable passes. Um, to that respect, uh, completion percentage can be an overrated stat. It's important to add that caveat because it is a very important statistic. Um, 
You can't look at a guy who completes 50% of his passes and say that is an accurate player because you're wrong. It's it's provably wrong. Um, we had a lot of a lot of discussion now that Josh Allen is kind of hit about how people looked at him pre-draft and how he hadn't hit 60% of his passes and how inaccurate he was. And he was inaccurate in college. He threw a ton of inaccurate passes. He also threw like the hardest passes all the time. He, he never threw easy passes. He was always going for the most complicated crap that he could. And that impacted that. Um, but don't just throw it out and be like, no, he was accurate. He just threw a lot of hard passes. No, he was inaccurate with, while throwing a lot of hard passes. Right. Um, but it gets, it gets tossed around a lot as like this be all end all. But a lot of guys nowadays who are bad quarterbacks just dump. They just dump passes. They, they throw short passes. They throw a million slants. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins is going to look like a superstar because he throws the slant well. It's like the only pass he throws well consistently. And he's got Justin Jefferson who can do whatever the hell he wants with a slant pass. So it's just that perfect pairing of quarterback with one talent. Wide receiver with one great talent uh, and pairing those things together. Um, but yeah, com- passer rating is the most overrated one. Completion percentage can be if you're if you're just using the stat. If you're not actually watching guys to see the complexity of the throws that they're making, um, we see that a little bit with Matt Jones this year with, with his high completion percentage and how how good his passer rating was in college. He threw very few difficult passes in college. Um, the opposite was true with Trey Lance, who threw a ton of harder passes. He wasn't as accurate with his harder passes. It's something he needs to work on. He's not a perfect prospect. Um, but the difficulty of passes matters. So passer or receiver, the thing I just said, because I can't say it again, apparently, uh, is probably the most overrated useful stat. Underrated yeah, stats, I don't have any. There's, there's, there's no underrated stats, I don't think. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people will point. There's definitely a debate among numbers-driven analysts that want to point to Mac Jones looking somewhat similar to Joe Burrow's ascension, but then you almost immediately look at the tight window throws from, I think it's PFF that that tracks that, and it's just night and day. It is. And the arm strength thing is another thing that always gets me. It's not a stat, but people always like to put an arm strength. Like, look at this pass where he throws 60 yards. Like I can get you a picture, a video of Kellen Moore throwing 60 yards. I can also get you a video of him throwing the exact same arc on that 60-yard pass on a 15-yard pass. <laughs> he has no arm strength. You know, watching guys in, in, in training camp, watching Matthew Stafford and Kellen Moore next to each other um, was hilarious because that's how you, you see real arm strength is on those intermediate throws. Uh, the as much people like to point to those those go routes and the fly routes and stuff like that, the best measurement of arm strength on an intermediate out. If if you can watch two guys throwing an intermediate out route, you will see the difference in arm strength. It's, it's apparent. It shows up. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like touching the uh, those ten to twenty yard out routes are absolutely where it shows up when they need to get the ball there immediately. Nope. I know this was this question wasn't for me, but I do want to point out yards per carry as a uh, overrated oh, stat yeah. as well. Yeah, it, there's so much that goes into yards per carry. It's mostly the line, you know, and, and yards per attempt. So this this, is, like I said, there for me there are no underrated stats. There's a lot of overrated stats. 
you know, yards per attempt can be a good indication of a quarterback who's just dumping, but every quarterback is a system quarterback. You know, the idea that somebody's a system quarterback is not a valid argument, I think, in today's day and age. This is something I've been turned down around to over the last couple of years because every quarterback has a system that they're the best in, and they function best in that system. And if they go to another team, that team is going to install that system because that quarterback is good at it, and it's the quarterback, you know? Um, doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad passer. It just means that their their passes are generally going to have less depth. I mean, they have weak arm, a, a poor arm strength. It just means that they don't throw a lot of deep passes. They don't have to, you know. Um, so that's another one that, that I think gets overrated. There's so many overrated. I have a trick question for you. Is uh, are are sacks a quarterback stat? Yes and no. It is a trick question. Um, I'll answer this way. So it isn't if I look at it the right way. Sacks is a quarterback stat. As long as you're saying, can quarterbacks cause sacks? Yes. Offensive linemen also can. So can defensive ends just by being really good at it. I think if you look at it as an individual stat for each position, that answers a pretty comfortable yes. Uh, a lot of sacks are just caused by the quarterbacks screwing up, holding on the ball too long, running into their offensive linemen's butt. You know, there's that type of stuff happens. It's the quarterback's fault. But offensive tackles getting their butt kicked. I mentioned Bobby Hart before. It's it's a thing also. Uh, so as a uh, as a Lions fan, Solar's curious. Uh, do you have any insight on on who the Lions are going to take with the seventh pick, or at the very least, who do you want them to take with that pick? I have no insight. Um, yeah, no, no significant insight that, that changes anything that I already thought they would do. Um, I think the Lions were targeting a quarterback, and that's why I think the Dolphins traded up. Um, and then the, there was all the, not just the Dolphins, the 49ers, all, that, all those trades and stuff happened. That's why the Dolphins traded down and then back up. Um, that's why the Eagles are where they're at. Everybody's, everybody's looking at trying to get a quarterback. I think the Lions were one of those teams that wants to get a quarterback in this draft class because 2022 doesn't look that great, and the Lions are not going to roll with golf longer than they have to. Um, so if one of the quarterbacks in that top four falls, that would be my ideal pick. Um, I have four quarterbacks in my top five. So if one of those guys is there at seven or they trade up for him, that's perfect. Rebuild your team from the quarterback. Uh, if they're unable to or if all those guys are gone, uh, it's going to be a wide receiver, I think. I think it's going to be Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase or uh, Jalen Waddle. Um, I have a pretty good feeling that Jamar Chase is going to be gone, so it's probably between Smith and Waddle. Um, I don't think they're going to trade back just because teams have to be wanting, willing to trade up. And if they're trading up, it's for a quarterback, and the Lions aren't going to take a quarterback. Or are going to take a quarterback rather than trade down with ones on the board. So um, ideally a quarterback, otherwise a wide receiver. Or if Penny Sewell falls, hell, we'll, we'll take him, throw him at left tackle, move Decker back to the right. Be done with that forever. Not have to touch tackle position for years. Right, that, that would be super nice for you guys, I'm sure. What's your uh, what's your preference between Waddle and Smith if you had to choose? So this was tough for me because I think Waddle's the the better athlete, um, but he's also got those injury concerns that are are more concerning than the size is for Devontae Smith. Um, I don't like to gamble on outliers. Um, I, if you if you continue to to gamble on outliers for your team, then your team will either have no outliers or nothing but outliers, and neither of those are are winning teams in general. Um, so I, I don't do that often, 
but I've watched enough of Devontae Smith to know that, again, there's no, there's no comp for him. And I feel comfortable that if he stays healthy, Devontae Smith could be the best wide receiver in this draft class, even as good as Jamar Chase is, even as, as dynamic as, as Jalen Waddle is. I think the best receiver in the class could be Devontae Smith just because he catches everything. He runs every route. He can do anything you need him to do. So if if he is an outlier, he's a good one. That makes sense. Uh, let's see here. And then, so moving a little bit into some of the uh, work that you've done with Raz, what do you think aspiring writers, creators, what do you think they spend too much time doing? There's, there's there's two things that you can waste your time on. Uh, the first thing is convincing yourself that you're not good enough to do it. Uh, imposter syndrome, right? You, you're it's it's not good enough for you to show other people. It's not good enough for you to put out in the, out in the world. Ill a lot, man. But but the situation I have with Raz right now, the way that it's built up, this wasn't the way that it started out. This isn't, isn't how it looked before. I've changed it dozens of times. Um, I've only changed the actual calculations once in the last 40 years, since 2017, which was this year I had to change something with the Cals. Um, but it took me a long time to get there where it was that static. Did I lose you? Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm frozen for a second. Um, uh, but that, that would be one thing is don't, don't ever waste time convincing yourself it's not worth doing. Um, don't waste time being discouraged by things that you try and don't succeed on. Most of the time, you're going to try something that's not going to work. All that tells you is that thing doesn't work. It doesn't tell you your idea is not solid. It tells you that you had an idea and you've proven that it doesn't work. Proving that something doesn't work is valuable. There's value in that. Um, the other thing that I do think people waste a lot of time on is, is doing stuff that doesn't matter. It seems like it flies counter to the one that I just said, right? You want to try new things, try things you can. But if you're going to try something, make sure that it has value. Um, I mentioned the mile per hour stuff. People love that. People love being able to see the mile per hour for players. Um, but it doesn't have any value. So I didn't. I took that off of my cards because it doesn't have any value. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I could have. I did have an option I was going to build out to do a player comparison where you could like see them and actually be a, have a visual of, of what it would look like if they ran. They're 10, they're 20, and they're 40. Um, I had part of it programmed out, but there wasn't enough value there. And um, one of my favorite quotes, I forget who said it now, but is never do something efficiently that you didn't need to do at all. Um, and that, that's important because it's very easy to build something that's neat, but doesn't provide any value, and it's thus never going to get used. So do stuff, learn stuff, try things. But if you start building something and you truly don't see a value for it, don't spend your time doing it. Do something that has value. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's, I think that's really good advice. Um, what is your... Uh, also, so this was a two-part question. What is your favorite non-football content or service that you subscribe to? Oh, good Lord. I love film. I love TV shows. I love, I work constantly, like I said, but I watch movies and shows while I'm doing that. Um, so I stream a lot and I watch a lot of movies and a lot of films and a lot of bad movies. I love bad movies. So when it comes to my favorite content, it's Amazon Prime. Not because Prime is great, because Prime has some of the worst movies in the history of the universe. 
on that system that you can go watch. Uh, movies about zombie donuts and stuff. There's just the stupidest content out there. Um, so that's, that's an easy one for me, just because it's great to go out and, and watch bad film and enjoy a bad movie. And they have the worst. So that's, that's my favorite content to go stream. Um, <laughs> other than that, um, I don't have a whole lot of hobbies outside of outside of football and movies and music, so uh, I, I tend to keep myself pretty pretty strict to those things. Yeah, I mean that's fair, and I think that you mentioned earlier uh, that your hobbies kind of work that you know that you enjoy putting in the time, you enjoy putting the effort, and that's okay. where Raz came from. Fun, I love doing this stuff. But yeah, so I. Uh, unless we have any other questions from the chat, I think that's going to be about it. Um, wait just a little bit to see if we have any. But otherwise, um, while we're waiting on that, do you want to go ahead and take a minute to to uh, pimp any content you're working on, uh, potentially even your Patreon if you want to post that? Uh, now it's chat. Yeah, so I, I mentioned before, I have my website at relativeathleticscores.com. You can go there and check out the, the player testing for any player in this year's draft. Any draft class going back to 1987. I'm constantly trying to add new content. Um, you can contact me on Twitter at MathBomb if anything's broken on my site. Because again, developer who is constantly working on things, by all means, tell me about it. Um, I won't be offended. Um, I work at Pro Football Network. Uh, I run the Mock Draft Simulator. You can go there at Pro Football Network slash Mock Draft. Uh, you can run as many as you want. We love having guys go there and, and pimp their content there. Run your favorite mock drafts. Find some crazy situation. Post it. Um, again, if something's weird, tell me about it. If something's funny, tell me about it. Um, those are the two main places that you can find me. It's, it's my website or Pro Football Network, and the three, I guess, because Twitter is constantly on there. Um, I don't have a Patreon. I do have, uh, I have Venmo and PayPal that I have out on, uh, tagged on my profile for anybody that's willing to donate. It helps me buy different things for the website to try to make it, try to improve it, and try to add different things to it to make it better. Um, getting money for it also gives me an excuse to work on other things. It makes me feel a little motivated to go out and try to get new content out there. Um, it's it's a lot of work doing this stuff. It's nice having fans show their appreciation for it. So I love my fans. I, I think I don't know if I mentioned this on the air, but I, um, my my fans were able to, to fund my website through the entire last year uh, just through donations. So um, it helps. And I appreciate everybody that does it. I appreciate everybody that, that weighs in and asks me questions and makes fun of me for being a Lions fan <laughs> and anything else that you guys do. And at least the, the two people who mentioned how awesome my stash are, those are the best people. The best people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate everyone signing on. I appreciate having you here, Math Bomb. And thank you so much for joining us. And I think we're going to call that a wrap. Cool. Thanks, everybody.